Hello, 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 and welcome everyone to this episode of the National CMB Foundation's podcast. My name is Kalia Fleming, and I'm super excited to be with you today. I am the Executive Director of the National CMV Foundation. Congenital cytomegalovirus, or CMV infection, is arguably the most common preventable cause of neonatal disability in the U.S., affecting approximately more than 30,000 children a year. The National CMV Foundation's mission, therefore, is to prevent pregnancy loss, childhood death, and disability due to congenital CMV. And we pride ourselves on this podcast series because the series really, really, really highlights advocacy, education, industry, and scientific advances, professionals, um, family stories in the CMV space to increase awareness about a variety of topics. And the whole purpose is to bring congenital cytomegalovirus to the forefront of the conversation. Our podcast today is brought to you by our amazing partner, Moderna. And I have the privilege, and I'm so excited today to be chatting with Lisa Eckel. She's one of our National CMV Foundation CMV Community Alliance Chairs from Virginia, and she is an SLP or a speech language pathologist, and she'll be conversing with us today on the intersection of speech language pathology and CMV as a whole. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Super excited to be chatting with you for this month's podcast. Um, To get started, please feel free to jump in. Tell us a little bit about your role as a CMV Community Alliance Chair, and in particular, your role as an SLP or a speech language. Thanks, Kalia. Um, yeah, so my name is Lisa. I am a mom to three little boys, um, Easton, who is six, Owen is four, and Cameron is one. Um, and I'm a licensed speech language pathologist. I live in Northern Virginia with my husband of nine years, and this is my second year serving as the Community Alliance Chair for the Foundation for the State of Virginia. Um, And I'm also mom to a child with congenital CMV, um, my fierce, fiery, and fighting four-year-old Owen. Um, And as a speech-language pathologist, I have primarily practiced with birth through adolescence. And this is definitely a merging of my, you know, professional and personal life um, as an SLP and a mom of a congenital CMV kiddo. Awesome. Thank you for that introduction. And we'll just go ahead and jump right in. Uh, We have a few questions that I'm sure folks are interested to hear more about and learn more about. And so we'll just jump right on in. So can you tell us a little bit about why SLPs play an important role and what type of role they do play in CMV care and treatment as far as speech therapy is concerned? That's a great question. So I'll start by just giving a brief background of what speech language pathologists do and who they are. Um, They are master's level clinicians. So they have completed um, undergraduate work and a graduate program with, you know, supervision and clinicals in order to work with individuals of all ages from birth through geriatric populations. Um, There are many different areas that speech language pathologists can specialize in. um, But what probably jumps out to most people or what most people would remember is when they were a child, um, speech language pathologists in their school setting, maybe working with kids on producing that TH sound or that R sound. But as a whole, speech language pathologists do so much more than just helping with the production of speech sounds. Uh, We can work 
on feeding skills with anyone from an infant through someone post-neurological injury through the elderly. We work on, you know, fluency for those people that might stutter, as well as language skills, things such as putting words together in phrases, building cohesive sentences, both spoken and written, problem-solving skills, reading comprehension, the list really could go on. Um, But in regards to speech-language development within the CMV population, speech-language pathologists are really critical. One of the most common ways that CMV impacts infants is by attacking their hearing. And if a child can't hear clearly, their ability to take in sound and in turn learn language can be significantly impacted. If our child isn't hearing language models regularly or clearly, it will impact not only their receptive language or what they can understand, you know, things like following directions, pointing to pictures when we read with our kiddos, but also their expressive language. So their language output through words or signs or gestures. And SLPs can really support families of young children by working on establishing language-rich environments. So ways we can do that and create that type of environment is promoting language through modeling. You know, we're playing with our kiddos on the floor. We're narrating our play. You know, car, ball, car go, uh, ball go, car stop. And we can even manipulate our child's environment to encourage them to communicate. And when I say communication, I mean kind of a total communication. For some kiddos with CMV, they may communicate with words. Some may need to use signs um, and some may need to use gestures or pictures, whether those are printed out pictures and icons or even, you know, communication system uploaded onto like an iPad. Um, But any way that we can get our kids a communication system, um, that's a success. Even if it's not in the traditional sense of speaking, all kids have needs and all people have needs and all people want to get their needs met. And without a communication system, that's just not possible. Um, One of my favorite strategies to teach families who want to increase their young child's language usage is to give, you know, one or two, maybe goldfish at a time for snack so that that little one has the chance to request, you know, fish or more or cracker in order to kind of fill up that belly and be satisfied at snack time. But as parents, we often like meet the need before the need is communicated. And so we pour out that whole bowl of goldfish and pass it off to our kiddo so that we can run and put out that next fire that's happening within our home at that time. Um, So SLPs can really kind of look at what's happening within a family and give strategies that fit into that family's lifestyle to help promote communication for their little ones. Awesome. You have said quite a bit and you gave really awesome examples, some tangible examples, um, and shared a lot of great information. So thank you for that. And that really opened the door to some additional questions that just popped up as you were chatting. So just curious, you know, we often talk about the CMV odyssey and having to navigate care and find key critical specialists and make sure you find the right specialist for you and your family and your child. And so as we think about SLPs, are there any specific certifications or trainings Um, that families should look for when looking for an SLP um, to specifically work with their CMV impacted 
That's a really good question. Um, so I think my answer to this would be to approach finding a speech language pathologist just as you would approach finding any medical specialist for yourself or your kiddo. Um, you know, if you know that your child has, um, you know, an aversion to the dentist and the dentist is not your child's favorite place to go, you know, you're going to ask other parents you know, do you like your dentist? Is your dentist good with kids who are nervous? Um, you know, is your dentist patient or is your dentist always in a rush? You know, questions that are going to impact whether you select that dentist for your child. And I think finding an SLP is just like that. Um, you know, I would you know, if you don't have a place near you that, you know, provide speech language services like a private practice or an outpatient center in a hospital, um, if your child's under the age of three, the birth to three program would be something to look into. That's within every county within the United States um, and supported by every state. Um, but I would also, you know, go online and look that up and look up reviews and ask other parents at the playground or at daycare drop off um, and start to get a list of names and then call and ask, you know, whether that's the front desk or secretary that answers the phone and say, you know, what age, you know, does this SLP typically work with? Is it possible to have a phone conversation with them before bringing my child in for an evaluation? Um, and, you know, your feelings when you meet someone and, and your child's feelings when they meet someone speak volumes, I think, to their comfort level. And there are some times that you're just not going to be the right match with the first person you meet. And that's OK. Um, so having the courage to say, you know, I need to keep looking. Um, but SLPs can specialize in all kinds of things, you know, from feeding to um, you know, geriatric populations working in rehab to elementary age kiddos. And so those are things I would ask is what population do you typically work with? Where do you work with your patients? Is it in their home um, and community or is it in an office setting? Um, are the parents able to participate in the therapy sessions if it's in an office setting or are they encouraged to be in the waiting room? Um, in my opinion, the younger the child, the more parent participation is vital because the parents are the ones that actually spend time with their kiddo, you know, in insignificant amounts. And so, um, you know, from a child to have a speech therapy session for 60 minutes once a week is going to, you know, be a great experience and teach them a lot of things. But what's going to help them even more is that mom, dad, grandma participating in the session as well gaining that knowledge and learning those strategies of how to take those skills back home and practice that all week long. Awesome. Okay. So it's the typical um, thing we kind of see when we're, you know, talking about kids in school in general, right? We often hear, make sure you read with your child at home to increase and boost their reading skills. So the same thing applies here for um, therapy at home, improving speech at home. And I really like that example you gave. And I, I, I really love that piece about engaging parents because you're right. They're going to go home and they have to work with their child on a continual basis. And I think that's a very good strategy to include them in the therapy session. So thank you for sharing that. And, and that's a really good segue to as you know, and you know this all too well, CMV can manifest just in a variety of ways. And how do parents know if their child should see an SLP? 
And at what age can they stop? That's a really good question. So um, some of the things where young children are concerned, we're looking for certain milestones, you know, just like a physical therapist is looking um, at their gross motor milestones. um, We're looking at their language milestones to kind of know is my child on track or on target with their language skills um, or where do they need support and and when should I seek out support? Um, And so things that we want to look for early on um, are babbling. So typically developing babies or babies with typical language development are going to babble and make sounds. Things like, Ooh, e. They're going to play with the sounds that they can make with their mouth. And we're going to see that around six months of age. By the time a kiddo hits one year, we want to hear some longer strings of those babbling sounds. You know, pop, 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 ma, 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 ma. It doesn't always have to mean anything at this point, but we want to hear some longer strands and we want to hear some more variety. Uh, speech language pathologists are also going to be looking for gestures. Does your little one wave? Will they clap or shake their head for no? Um, When they want to be picked up, do they raise their arms up, you know, to the sky indicating that they want to be picked up? Um, Around, you know, the 12 to 14 month range, we also would typically see children start to say a few words in the one to five words, things like hi or uh uh-oh. No, those would be good examples of some first words we sometimes hear from little ones. Um, And children really learn through imitation in these early years. And so they imitate us, you know, clapping, waving, you know, putting things in containers, taking them out. Uh, We're going to watch and see, you know, is your child at this age starting to imitate actions and, and do these things in play? Um, If your child isn't making sounds or isn't trying to imitate you know, even if the sounds aren't perfect, they're, you know, they're trying, then that might be a sign to kind of seek out a speech language pathologist and um, see if an evaluation is warranted. You can also go to the American Academy of Pediatrics website or the American Speech Hearing Association website and see a list of language and speech milestones by age. Um, And that kind of can give you a good breakdown to see, are we kind of in the range of where my child needs to be? Or should I bring this up with, you know, a specialist that we're working with and get another opinion? Um, And again, if if ever you're concerned, I can't kind of share the emphasis of this enough, but follow your gut. Um, You know, I think a parent's intuition is a very strong thing. And um, while a you know, SLP is a language specialist. You are your child's specialist. Nobody knows your child better than you do as their parent or caregiver. Um, And so if you feel like something is off, um, you know, ask, ask for another opinion, ask for help, ask for someone to take a look and, and see what they think. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lisa, for that. And so we talked a lot about key indicators for families, for children at different developmental stages. I want to kind of switch gears to the profession of speech language pathology as a whole. As you know all too well, here at the foundation, we really, really strive to increase awareness about congenital CMV. um, And we want to make sure that that awareness is heightened through a variety of healthcare professionals, speech language pathologists being one of them. 
And so in your opinion, what can be done to improve CMV knowledge and awareness among speech language pathologists? Do you think it's the awareness level is, is already great? Do you think there could be improvement? What, what are you? Kalia, the hardest part in answering this question um, is how big the knowledge gap and lack of awareness is within my own profession. Um, you know, so first I can speak from my own experience and that while I had practiced as a speech language pathologist, primarily with young kiddos, birth to adolescence for over nine years before my son who has congenital CMV was born, prior to finding out that he was infected with CMV, I had little awareness of the virus or knowledge on how CMV could impact a child's development and communication abilities. I had maybe one interaction as a professional with the diagnosis on paper, but I don't recall even having a single child on my caseload identified with that diagnosis. Now, and we both know that doesn't mean that child wasn't there, just means that maybe their diagnosis wasn't known and found on paper. Um, But as a whole, I feel like I lacked that foundational knowledge of the impact that congenital CMV can have. And, you know, the knowledge I did have was mostly around hearing loss. Um, And that's not it. You know, that is a huge impact for so many families that have a child with congenital CMV. Um, But just because a child with congenital CMV doesn't have hearing loss doesn't mean they don't have other neurological deficits. Um, And on a more global scale, just this year, there was an article published in the American Journal of Audiology by Didia et al. And embarrassingly, it found that only 26% of SLPs in the study were somewhat familiar with congenital CMV. Um, And on a comparative note, 85% of audiologists within the sample population were familiar with congenital CMV. And this this gap in awareness and knowledge has huge implications for the CMV population in how we can advocate for our children for services, to know what services to pursue and what milestones to be extra cautious of watching for. And because CMV is the leading environmental cause of childhood hearing loss, we we need to do better. We need more education and training for the professionals that are going to be those first lines of defense for our kiddos. Um, and I, I know I can't help but think that with more widespread education, more recognition of congenital CMV as a whole, we're going to get more people talking about CMV. We're going to get more people asking questions about CMV. And in turn, more people are going to be educated on the risks Um, as well as the impacts that it has on pregnant women and their children. And I think in the last year, we have seen CMV a little bit more in the headlines, be that because of COVID-19 or in spite of COVID-19. And I honestly think that our, you know, chance of improving CMV knowledge with not just speech language pathologists, but the population as a whole is education. And and we each can play a role in that. Each person who has the knowledge, I feel like it is our job to share it. Um, you know, I feel like I educate and share my knowledge with, you know, my OBGYN, my children's health professionals, even for my kids that don't have congenital CMV. You know, if it comes up in conversation, I share the information. You know, there are school professionals or even other moms that I might meet. And, you know, I only wish education and prevention was communicated on a larger scale so that 
it might have reached me as as a woman of childbearing age and as an SLP. Um, you know, the good news is CMV is 100% preventable, but the bad news is it's only preventable if you know the information. And I think that's the biggest kind of takeaway is we have to start talking more about it and we have to educate people wherever they are so that they can be empowered and prevent CMV infections. Absolutely. And I love what you said about education because it runs the gamut, right? Healthcare professionals, moms, moms to be, dads, fathers, partners, grandparents, caregivers, um, anything we can do to increase awareness and, and invoke engagement across the table from everyone, I think is really going to help move the needle forward with CMV awareness as a whole. So I really like that you added that in. I do want to add here, for those folks who are interested in the article that we referenced by Dedia et al., which was published this year, it's entitled A Cross-Sectional Survey Evaluating Awareness of Congenital Cytomegalovirus Among Audiologists and Speech-Language Pathologists. We've made it very easy for you to locate that article You can go to our website, nationalcmv.org, and click under our newsroom tab and find March listing of articles, and there you will find it under that March listing of articles. Again, the title is A Cross-Sectional Survey Evaluating Awareness of Congenital Cytomegalovirus Among Audiologists and Speech-Language Pathologists that was published this year. Again, on our main website, nationalcmv.org. You can click on resources um, and under there you will see newsroom. Scroll down to March and you will see that article there accessible for you so that you can go ahead and read that at your leisure. Lisa, I just want to add and say you've shared so many great tips and strategies and best practices and your own personal lessons learned. Is there anything else you want to share with those who are listening in? Where else can folks go to get additional information? You you shared a couple of national organizations and websites that were great, but any other tidbits or tips you want to share with? I would say my other kind of favorite tip, if you're looking to encourage your young child to communicate more, um, we briefly mentioned manipulating your environment. So if you, if your kiddo loves going to the park every day after snack um, and they know to go to the front door area and grab their shoes to start getting them on, um, hide their shoes. <laughs> it sounds really funny, but they're going to go to that spot and they're going to look for their shoes. They're not going to find them and they're going to look at you like, you know what's wrong, you know, help me. And right, what you're doing is you're creating the opportunity for them to communicate. Um, and that's how you increase communication is giving those opportunities wherever you find them in times that your child's going to be highly motivated. Um, so now you have the chance to model, you know, shoes or the word go. And that can be with signs or gestures or words or sounds and then excitedly reinforcing your kiddo that they tried and you grab those shoes, you put them on and you're off to your adventure at the park for the day. Awesome. Thank you for that example and strategy, Lisa. That's awesome to hear. And I think that's real tangible information that can really help someone listening in who are who's wanting to boost up the communication skills of their child. So thank you so much for that. Again, Lisa, thank you so much for the wealth of information shared. Thank you for your time today. It was awesome to talk to you and hear more about your role and work as a speech language pathologist and and how that overlaps with the CMV space. I want to take this time to thank all of our listeners. Thank you so much for supporting 
not just the podcast, but our quest and our continuous effort to increase awareness about congenital CMV and to really live out our mission. So again, thanks for everyone tuning in. Until next month, I hope and pray all is well with and for you all and stay tuned for next month's podcast. Thanks so much.